0: This is Father Mark Bulos with The Bible as Literature Podcast. The biblical text is epic, expansive, and integrated in specific and articulate ways. After 500 episodes, over 800 if you add in Tarazi Tuesdays, I am convinced that the biblical genre's complexity is far beyond the reach of contemporary literature and artistic expression. This is not intended as hyperbole. People get excited about modern literature because we always seek new ideas. But there are no new ideas, just old ideas repackaged and half-baked. The well-written old ideas, repackaged in some of the new books are useful, but they are still limited with respect to what matters most because in the end, they all share the same premise as the tired opinions the average person posts online. So you read, hunt for useful knowledge and test it against your reference, but you are selective with respect to where you place your trust. It is one's reference that counts. The Bible too is old, but it is more than that. It stands out from the crowd in how it has disagreed with all of us, our ideas and the things we fashion from days of old. In his essay, The False Promise of Chat GPT. Noam Chomsky explains that the inability of machine learning to go beyond description and prediction to provide an explanation of what is not the case and what could and could not be the case exhibits something like the banality of evil, plagiarism and apathy and obviation. It summarizes the standard arguments in the literature by a kind of super autocomplete, refuses to take a stand on anything, pleads not merely ignorance, but lack of intelligence, and ultimately offers a just following orders defense, shifting responsibility to its creators. Chomsky is describing machine learning From my perspective, his words describe a culture that has fashioned something digital in its own image. Impressive? Maybe. Useful? Profitable? Sure. Entertaining? Yes. Intelligent? No. Wise? No comment. Hopeful? Definitely not. What does Levi have to do with Luke? And please don't ask ChatGPT until after it's had a chance to plagiarize my brief essay. In epic literature, it's a long journey from Genesis, where we first hear about Melchizedek, to Numbers, where we are told about the staff of Levi from among 12 staffs, from all the leaders of the households of Israel, to Deuteronomy, where we hear twice, Levi does not have a portion or inheritance with his brothers. The Lord is his inheritance. The same statement pops up in Numbers, Joshua, and of all places, Ezekiel. The word is epic. It is epic literature. You have to hear the whole story. Likewise, in Luke, Jesus does not have a portion or inheritance with his brothers in Nazareth. You are my beloved son. In you I am well pleased. But as Paul explains in Hebrews, Jesus is beyond even Levi. For Levi was still in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. You had better believe Jesus speaks with authority. Richard and I discussed the Gospel of Luke, chapter 4, verses 36 to 37
1: You're listening to the Bible as literature.
0: Hi, this is Father Mark Bulos
1: and this is Dr. Richard Benton.
0: And you are listening to episode 500 of the Bible as Literature podcast, The Reason that all of the lead characters in new Disney movies are deadbeats is because people love deadbeats. Because a deadbeat doesn't command you to do anything. A deadbeat is not terrifying. A deadbeat who's having a psychological crisis and doubting himself is not going to pressure you or command you to do anything. That's why people love to talk about a loving Jesus who's nice to everybody. But that is not the Jesus who we encounter in Luke chapter 4. The Jesus who turned his back and walked away from Nazareth. The Jesus who silenced muzzled, overwhelmed, and dominated the false teachers in order to starve them, not just silence them, but starve them so that people would never, ever have the chance to hear what they have to say. This Jesus speaks with authority. And that's exactly how I would like to begin episode 500, Rich. We've been doing this for 500 weeks, and we've missed maybe what? One, two, three weeks the entire time? Why? Because the system of Scripture is to dominate and to overwhelm in the face of a sea of nonsense. There is no time to do anything else But forge ahead and speak with authority, because the one who is trying to channel this instruction, which is what Jesus himself does in the story, does not speak on his or her own authority, has nothing to do with gender. I think we've been clear about that all along, because we are just earthen vessels, which means, as Paul says, we speak with full authority, but it's not our authority. We're temporary. We pass away. We're not the reference. What is written is the reference. That is where the power resides. That's what Paul meant in the epistle this weekend, which is, in its own way, anti-Nazareth, anti-tribe. Because religion is born out of the desire to make we the tribe permanent. So the scriptural God usurps that mechanism, he says, okay, I will take your patriarch and I will make him my shebet, but I will cancel him as king and I will keep the tribe in the wilderness. Because your patriarch, your sheikh, your shepherd is just an earthen vessel. Jesus himself will be shown to be an earthen vessel. But the voice from the heavens, which is written in the scroll of Isaiah, which was put in the hands of Jesus, that is the written authority, which imbues Jesus with an unassailable authority. And so he is coming into town and he is not messing around. And that is truly terrifying.
1: Terror comes from the quaking of the ego. When Jesus comes to town, he comes with a word and comes with a commandment. And Father Paul, when he talks about shepherdism, and when John talks about the shepherd, sheep don't follow the shepherd. They hear the shepherd's voice. They listen for the voice it's not the person it's the voice the sheep don't follow the example of the shepherd they follow the commandment of the shepherd when jesus comes to town he comes with a word he comes with a commandment and that's what we saw last time when he spoke to the demons they followed they obeyed when he spoke to the nazarenes they didn't really listen And so they mutually decided that Jesus would leave, because there was no space for his word. There was no space for his commandment. And when God said in chapter 3 that he was pleased with his son, Jesus, this is what imbues Jesus with the authority, but it also requires obedience on Jesus's behalf. Obedience is not considered a virtue. A hero is not obedient. A hero is an individual who follows his own conscience. And sometimes someone forces him to do something he doesn't want to do, but in the end, the hero in the American movie does what he wants. Whereas here, Jesus does exactly what God wants him to do, and he ends up with a very non-Hollywood ending, which is that he's killed (laughs) by the bad guy. The bad guy wins because he was obedient. The problem is Scripture introduces this king of kings who is God, the judge over all.
0: And amazement came upon them all, and they began talking with one another, saying, What is this message? For with authority and power he commands... The unclean spirits and they come out. Now, I want to say something right off the bat about this word amazement. It corresponds in the Septuagint in the Song of Songs to ayom, which means terrifying. The people were terrified and they should be. As I said in the outset, Jesus is no longer playing games, he has taken The gloves off. And I want to just zero in, Richard, because as hearers, we, of course, first and foremost as Americans, because we really believe that English is the language. And then as Orthodox, especially the Arab Orthodox who are held captive, we really believe that Greek is the language. We are not hearing what the authors, the Semitic authors are saying. Remember, the Septuagint is the rendering of the Semitic in Greek by the authors of the Bible. Let me say it again. The Semites who wrote the Hebrew consonantal text, which is concocted from the extant Semitic languages of the ancient world in the region of Mesopotamia for the sake of the non-Semites translated then, or let me say, rendered the consonantal Hebrew into the Septuagint Greek, which means the alignment of the Septuagint Greek that is used in the New Testament, its alignment to the original and therefore authoritative consonantal Hebrew is functional. And this term epistaso aligns to sawah in Hebrew, which means to command, but also to order. In other words, because Jesus is coming into town to impose, to dominate, to deliver the command of the Most High God, he is like the Levitical priest in Deuteronomy. His priesthood is after the order of Melchizedek. His Mate, which is different than Shebet, is not of his tribe in Nazareth. It is clarified. His authority is of the Most High God. It is not of his tribe and of his family. His authority is not of the house of Israel. So he speaks with a specific authority. Now this word... Sawa, in Hebrew, to command, to establish order, to be the organizing principle, corresponds to the Arabic wasiyah, which means a commandment, a will, and a testament. And this is the way Paul speaks in Galatians. No one annuls a man's will. You bind up, you unite in writing. Now the term that Paul uses in Galatians is the Athikin. The Athikin corresponds to berit, which is such an important word in Hebrew. It means covenant or pact. I mean, that's how we translate it. And it's taken from bara, which can mean, depending on how you vocalize it, it can mean to recover, to restore, even to eat bread. Now, there are different Semitic cognates that could shed light on this term in Hebrew. In Akkadian, the word Baru means to eat one's fill. And of course, you have again the Arabic Beria, which has the connotation of acquittal, but also to become free from disease, to recover from illness. You are restored when you have something to eat, when you eat your fill. Through the breaking of bread, which happens when we sit down to cut a covenant, when something is established by the imposition of God's covenant, his agreement. But the connection, even though we're talking about different words, the connection is clear. The authority and the power that is carried by the earthen vessel, that is vested in the earthen vessel, is permanent because it is written. It holds authority. And it cannot be annulled. This is the authority on which Jesus speaks, so you can't mess with him. Rich, one of our listeners who's been with us for years, sent a note saying, can you explain why Arabic is so important? I had a conversation recently with Father Paul. He was explaining how the Arabic that is spoken in the Levant, the everyday Arabic, is so important for hearing scripture. It's a treasure trove and how the Quran is so important because it preserves the Arabic language, which is linked to ancient Semitic. All of the Semitic cognates are important. And I could try to explain as I've explained previously, but instead of giving a short parable or example, I'm going to continue to give examples day in and day out on the podcast until everyone hears, just as Father Paul has given examples day in and day out until it sinks in that these words are linked. It's endless. Now, if we had time, we could go back and see how this hebrew triliteral this semitic triliteral works in the old testament but that's on the listeners of this podcast you have to make the effort with us and you can't do it in english it's time that we start pressuring ourselves more and pressuring each other we have to liberate scripture from the Roman Empire and from Hellenism.
1: Epitasso comes from the Greek root tasso which means to create an order, to put things in order. And we have that in English, to command somebody is also to order somebody. And if you think in a military sense, you know, you put everybody in order, put them into lines and rows. This is why amazement comes upon them. Other places we've talked about how dangerous it is when the people feel amazement, it doesn't necessarily lead to good things what they remark on is the word what kind of a word is this tisologosutos that he can speak with this kind of authority exousia and dynamis power and we know because we read chapter 3 in chapter 3 god said he's well pleased in jesus luke narratively is playing out what does this mean it means that he can speak to the unclean spirits and they are now in order. They fled. Everything's back in order. Jesus is establishing this order that his father is imposing. I'm doing a Bible study on Nehemiah, and frankly, Nehemiah makes me uncomfortable because he is always praying. We never actually hear what God wants him to do, and then he goes and he does what he wants, and the only person he asks permission from is King Artaxerxes. God never lays his hand on, he never gives a mandate to him to go to do what he wants. He wants to build a wall, and he gets the letter from Artaxerxes. He prays in between, but God doesn't have anything to say about it. In this, God has an important word to say, which is, I am pleased in this one. And then Jesus goes and he speaks and now God's order prevails.
0: And the report about him was spreading into every locality in the surrounding district. And this word keeps coming up again. Yasa in Hebrew means to go out, to proceed, to produce. In Greek, ekporevome, to spread. Spreading also in the Old Testament has this connotation spreading out, you're scattering. When we think of in our, how shall I say this, in our capitalist metaphor for church life, I hate that phrase church life, because it's a way of talking about life in which the human being is the premise and the community is the premise, not the staff of God. And so therefore, life is something that we possess. And then we say, church life. In that view, the church is something we control, we build, and we gather something to us. But here, because God the Father posits his instruction, and Jesus, his representative, wields the authority of God the Father, powerfully, as we've tried to explain, Rich, the result is that there is something going forth, something is being produced, and it spreads. It doesn't just go in one direction, it spreads out upon the earth. It's fruitful and it multiplies. To my ear, with this biblical connotation, It has the sound of Genesis, this context of life spreading in the land, spreading out, not being brought inward and contained in some kind of a box that we control. We're not building anything in Genesis 11 in order to label it and control it. It's moving outward and spreading. It doesn't belong to Nazareth. It's very powerful.
1: This sound, the report, the hijos, Goes out. And this is the same word that we get our word in English, echo, hijos. It's the thing that you hear. So we again have reference to the word. You hear me keep saying again, (laughs) again, 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 because the focus is entirely on the word. And now the report of him is going out. It's not logos, it's not word, it's hijos. The report, the news, what is being said, the information that's being spread, the report. It's going into the perichoros and the perichoros comes to khoros, which means country or village, and peri is around, the surrounding villages. This is going out to the countryside. Jesus is spending all of his time in the hinterlands. People know about him in the hinterlands first before anyone in the cities realize. I mean, Capernaum, I guess, is probably the biggest city he's been in so far. He's been on the the Sea of Galilee, but the Sea of Galilee is a hinterland. It's not an important center. Jesus' teaching begins where Jesus was fed. That's where he talks about his native land in Nazareth. And this is where the Word is fed, and the Word is growing, and the Word is bearing fruit. It's setting down its first roots, and it's bearing its first fruit here in the hinterlands. We'll see what kind of fruit it produces, but as Jesus goes out, it's in the hinterlands.
0: Into every locality, the surrounding district. It's so beautiful. Paul talks about this in his letters. It's just letting... Everybody know, in every town of the Roman Empire, there is one apostle of the one Christ of the one God who is above all. There's nothing more exciting than scripture. I never tire of this stuff, Rich. That's why after 500 episodes, I'm already setting my sights, as God wills, on episode 1000.
1: From your lips to God, to your Father.
0: Inshallah. Thank you very much, Dr.
1: Benton. Thank you, Father. You've just heard the Bible as literature. Thanks for listening. The Bible as Literature is a production of the Ephesus School Network.